Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. Anything that happens in any of our lives, uh, even when it's difficult things, it's only by the it's either by the direct will of God or His permissive will. Again, because He knows all things, He knows what's necessary. He knows what's necessary even for people outside of us watching in on us while we're going through the crucible, while we're going through something. Family members are looking. Family members are being challenged, and and they are going through the process of sanctification. And God's saying. I'm doing a wonderful work. You can't see it. I'm doing a wonderful work in you and also in others around you. How amazing is your love? How can I keep it from shouting your name? I know I am loved by the King and it makes my heart want to sing. Today on Truth in Christ, Scripture says, God sent the spirit of ill will between Abimelech and the men of Shechem. Welcome everyone to our Bible study. God gave the devil commission to enter into or work upon their minds and hearts, knowing that he himself would fill them with mistakes and jealousies and dissensions, which would end the leadership of Abimelech. As students of the Bible, we know that God is in control of everything, including the works of the devil. God wants us to call on Him in time of need, instead of relying on ourselves, which could open the door for the evil one to influence our decisions. Now let's join Pastor Rob for today's lesson. Wonderful protection of God. You know, His mercies are new every morning, and I'm so glad He shields us in ways that we don't even understand we're being shielded. But that is our lovingly heaven, loving Heavenly Father. But back in James it says, But each one is tempted, notice, when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed, and then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. And so God doesn't really have to do anything. He just has to lift his hand of protection over a certain area to allow the devil to do something. And I love that God specifies what he what um, what the devil can and cannot do. You remember, even in the book of Job, we see this in Job chapter 1, in verse 6, where it says, There was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came up from among them. And the Lord said to Satan, where, 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 From where do you come? And so Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth, and from walking back and forth on it. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? Now this may sound like a, an, a kind of like a an unfortunate uh, invitation, and I'm sure Job is going, well, why don't why don't you ask him to consider somebody else? But see, the thing is, God knows the end from the beginning. He knew from that moment. He knew what the end of Job was going to be, and how God was going to bless him so much more than what he had started off with, and the work that he was going to do in Job. The devil doesn't know that. God knows that. All the devil knows is I can hurt. I can inflict pain because the devil doesn't know 
to what level God is going to allow this to go on. And so the devil, he's just like a thirsty, ravening wolf, uh, a ravening bear, and he just wants to kill, and he doesn't care how he does it. He doesn't even care the purposes of God. He just wants to destroy because that's where, that's his character. He's a destroyer, he's a thief, he's a liar, and he's been that way from the very beginning. But this is what he said. He says, Have you considered my servant Job that there is none like him in all of the earth, a blameless and a man upright, one who fears God and shuns evil? So Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job, does Job fear God for nothing? Have you made uh, have you not made a hedge around him, around his household, and around all that he has on every side? And here it is. God had made a hedge around this man, around his family, his whole household. Consider that like the bubble in a sense. The devil's saying, uh, sure, I've considered him, but you know what? You've got him protected. And, you know, he's, he's a good man, and he prays, and he, he offers sacrifices for his kids. I mean, he's an upright, honest, hardworking, God-fearing man. He says... You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in land. But then the devil says, But now, stretch your hand and touch all that he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, And here is the permission. Notice that the devil couldn't do anything of his own until God gave him permission. The Lord said to him, Behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not lay a hand on his person. Notice, you can do whatever you want, but don't touch him. And this is kind of interesting because, you know, um, he says, only do not lay a hand on his person. And so Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. So God gave him permission. But God gave him parameters. God gave him limits to what he could do. Now, God knew whether his sons and daughters were going to go to heaven or not, where their faith really was. God already knew that. He knew what was ultimately going to be the end of the whole thing. And he even allowed Satan, through a series of things, to even allow his, his children to be killed. And then, and then you know what happens uh, after that. God you know, allows him to even touch his health. And God all the time was looking in Job's heart and refining him and refining him and refining him. And so when you find yourself in difficult spots, you know, even Mauricio, tonight as, you, as you're as you laying in that uh, hospital bed, know that God is working. And I know that at the end of this, he's got a great plan for your life. And he's going to do wonderful things that um, that he knows uh, perhaps could have been done no other way than to allow this to come into your life. He's doing things even outside of you in your family that you can't even understand right now. And, and I'm not saying that I understand either, but he's, he's working not only on you, and, and he doesn't do it because he's mad at you. Sometimes it's to bring you closer to him and his love for you. So that's good. That's good news, isn't it? And it also reminds me, you know, the Lord has authority, you know, and he sends a, a spirit of ill will between Abimelech and the men of Shechem. And I I love in Matthew chapter 8, this is a, a passage that we all know very well. And having been just to Israel, we've been to this place where, uh, remember when Jesus crossed over from the, the land of Gennesaret, which is on the west side, and he goes over to the east side. There's a place over there, the place of the Gadarenes, and that's where we uh, had the, the men who were demon-possessed. And you recall what happened, that the, the demons, they asked permission the, the demons in these two men, as Jesus is conversing with these men, he tells them, um, 
you know, that the demons actually say to Jesus, if you cast us out, permit us to go away into the herd of swine. And here again is Jesus' authority over all things. And again, they could not go unless he permitted it. You notice how they asked permission? I mean, look, look at the words. <laughs> so it says, if you cast us out, permit us to go into the herd of swine. <laughs> and I love that. They had to ask for permission. Remember that. Anything that happens in any of our lives, uh, even when it's difficult things, it's only by the it's either by the direct will of God or His permissive will. Again, because He knows all things, He knows what's necessary. He knows what's necessary even for people outside of us watching in on us while we're going through the crucible, while we're going through something. Family members are looking. Family members are being challenged, and and they are going through the process of sanctification. And God's saying. I'm doing a wonderful work. You can't see it. I'm doing a wonderful work in you and also in others around you. And you can't see it. You can't see it. But maybe one day you will. And, um, and sometimes it may take us, you know, someday when the Lord uh, takes us and we're in glory, we're going to look back and we're going to perhaps question the Lord. Lord, why would you allow this certain thing to happen in my life? And I am sure we're all going to be confounded and amazed at the Lord's response for some of the darkest areas of our life, the darkest periods in our life. And, and, and He'll be able to tell us with pinpoint accuracy, you know, when I allowed this to happen in your life, you didn't know it, but there was somebody on the other side of the world that heard about what you were going through, and that's all they needed to come to faith. They couldn't believe what had happened through a series of of relationships and, and hearing about what you're going through. They, they give their heart to you. you and and you, you didn't even understand what I was doing in your wife while you were going through this thing, what I was doing in her and what I was doing in your son and your daughter. You had no idea what I was doing, but I was doing a good work. And, and, and God, I'm sure, is able to show us the fruit of it somehow. And then we're going to be like, and then I can see the Lord smiling and saying, now, I couldn't have done that any other way. I used you, you're my servant, and I used you to do this, and I allowed you to go into deep waters with me, and through the other side, look what I did, look what I did. It's great stuff. So back into our text, it says, uh, in verse 23, let me, let's back up to that again. It says, And God sent a spirit of ill will between Abimelech and the, and the men of Shechem. And the men of Shechem dealt treacherously with Abimelech, that the crime done to the seventy sons of Jerubbabel might be settled, and their blood be laid on Abimelech, their brother, who killed them, and on the men of Shechem, who aided him in the killing of his brothers. Because remember, Abimelech got the seventy shekels of silver out of their out of their temple of Baal, and he hired people to go against his brothers to kill them. And so now the men of Shechem are starting to smell a fish, and they're not really liking this ruler that they've allowed to be over them. And remember, Abimelech is like that bramble bush that uh, Jotham had prophesied about, this this man who was really worthless in a sense uh, because of his own selfish ambitions and his murder and his uh, intrigue and in all that he did. And so it says that, verse 25, And the men of Shechem, they set men in ambush against him on the tops of the mountains, and they robbed all who passed by along that way. And it was told to Bimelech. 
And um, I love what the Proverbs says. It says, Blessings are on the head of the righteous, but violence covers the mouth of the wicked. And ultimately, God is going to see that Abimelech and all of his deceit and all the things that he's doing, he's going to have his day. And in Proverbs uh, 22, verse 24, it says this, Make no friendship with an angry man. And can you imagine uh, these men of Shechem, that, you know, when Abimelech first came to them, trying to woo them to make him their ruler or their king, in a sense, over them, that you know, they certainly could have uh, noticed that there's something not right here. He's got an axe to grind. Uh, and so the Proverbs 22, it says, Make no friendship with an angry man, and with a furious man do not go, lest you learn his ways and set a snare for your own soul. And we're going to see that that is exactly what happens to the men of Shechem. But notice what happens in verse 26. Now we get uh, a new upstart who has the same desire in his, his heart. He wants to become a leader. His name is Gael, and he was the son of Ebed. He came with his brothers, verse 26, and he went over to Shechem, and the men of Shechem put their confidence in him. And so they went out into the fields, and they gathered grapes from their vineyards, and trod them, and made merry. And they went into the house of their god, and they ate, and they drank, and they cursed Abimelech. So now this new upstart named Gael comes in, and because they're already sick of Abimelech, they're kind of liking this guy, Gael. And so, then Gael, the son of Ebed, Ebed, said, Who is Abimelech, and who is Shechem, that we should serve him? Is he not the son of Jerubbabel, is not his, and is not Zebel his officer? Serve the men of Hamor, the father of Shechem, but why should we serve him? And so, this man, Gael, is really appealing to the older men into some of the history uh, of uh, of their town. Remember Hamor, the father of Shechem. Remember Shechem was the one who had that, who raped Dinah, who was uh, the men of Israel's. It was their their um, it was their sister. If you remember, it was uh, the daughter of Leah, the Shechem, who was the prince, and Hamor was the father of the town that he had raped uh, Dinah, and and then we we hear about what happened after that, how they just killed all the men. Uh, the, the brothers knowing that what had happened. And so he's trying to appeal to this older uh, generation and the, and the patriarchs earlier in the town's history and, um, and really disdaining uh, Abimelech and Zebel, who is his compatriot in a sense, a, a man who was uh, a prominent one in the town. Him and Abimelech are like this. And so, in verse 29, it says, If only this people were under my authority. So here, Gael is saying this to them. And notice the arrogancy of this man. He says, If only this people were under my authority. You know, can, can you, I can almost hear, you know, just you know, such a proud heart. You know, I want to rule. And if only they were under my authority, I could really do something. I could really bless them. I could really, you know, bring them to victory. He says, then, if only they were under my authority, I would rule and I would remove Abimelech. And so he said to Abimelech, increase your army and come out. So through some means, he gets back to Abimelech and says, hey, get yourself ready and let's go to battle. And, and so we see in this Gael just another greedy man for power and authority, just like Abimelech. 
It's kind of interesting how the Lord raised up a one, one man who was greedy for power against another man who was greedy for power. And it reminds me of Absalom. If you remember, um, Absalom had this selfish ambition to rule. Remember after the uh, David's adultery with Bathsheba and killing Uriah the Hittite, that uh, David's uh, popularity, even though he was still king, was he was starting to stink uh, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the eyes of the people. And that's when his son, Absalom, remember there was a time when Absalom would stand outside the gate and um, he would listen to people and he would say to them at the gate, what city are you from? And he would say, your servant is from such and such a tribe of Israel. And then Absalom would say to him, look, your case is good and right, but there's no deputy of the king to hear you. And moreover, Absalom would say, oh, that I were made a judge in the land and everyone who has a suit or cause would come to me and I would give him justice. And so we see the same kind of heart, the same kind of attitude in this gentleman, uh, Gael, as we see in Absalom, as we see even in Abimelech. And you know, it's interesting that even though there are many people and there's different cultures, there's different eons of time, when it really comes down to it, the heart of man is the same. You know, everyone has this, uh, you know, these opportunities to either do right or to, to do wrong. And within each of us, there is this propensity, especially in our old nature, to give in to the things of the flesh and desire uh, things that just please our flesh or things that please our ego or our pride or our sense of well-being or our, uh, some kind of estimation of ourselves. And, and it's no, no different here. And, 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 and even today, there are people like this, you know, and hopefully none of us are like them, you know, that really desire to have authority and power. You know, God, again, puts those where he wants, but um, we better be careful about our motivations for why we want to be in power or have some kind of authority. So notice in verse 30, it says, When Zebo, the ruler of the city, he heard the words of Gael, the son of Ebed, his anger was aroused. Because remember, Zebo, the ruler of the city, and Abimelech, they are kind of like two peas in the pod. So Zebo is sort of like a spy in the city, unbeknownst to uh, JL or Gael. So verse 31, so he sent messengers to Abimelech secretly now saying, take note, Gael, the son of Ebed and his brothers have come to Shechem and here they are. They're fortifying the city against you. Now, therefore, get up by night, you and the people who are with you and lie in wait in the field. And at this time, that was the time of harvest. And so they would come out into the fields, the people of Shechem and, and get the grapes or whatever grain, whatever it was and bring them back into the city. And so, verse 33, And it shall be, as soon as the sun is up in the morning, that you shall rise early and rush upon the city. So Abimelech and his men are outside the city. So they're saying, As soon as the sun is coming up in the morning, you shall rise early, rush upon the city, and when he and the people who are with him come out against you, you may do to them as you find opportunity. So Abimelech and all the people who were with him, they rose by night, they lay in wait against Shechem in four companies. And when Gael, the son of Ebed, went out and stood in the entrance to the city gate, Abimelech and the people who were with him rose from lying in wait. And when Gael, now, you know, I don't know about you, but as I'm reading this, I can picture it in my mind as Gael is standing outside the gate of the city and he's looking and he sees, and it says here, 
that he's out there with the ruler of the city, who is Zebel. Zebel, remember, is confederate, really, with Abimelech. And so he's standing outside the city gate, as rulers would do, as important people would do. And Gael's looking out, and he's saying, People are coming down from the tops of the mountains. This is in verse 36. But Zebel said to him, You see the shadows of the mountains as if they were men. So Gael spoke again and said, See, people are coming down from the center of the land, and another company is coming from the diviner's terebinth tree. And then Zebel said to him, Where indeed is your mouth now? <laughs> With which you said, Who is Abimelech, that we should serve him? Are not these the people whom you despised? Go out, if you will, and fight with them now. So uh, Zebel, the ruler of the town, is saying, you know, you know, put your money where your mouth is, son. Uh, here they are, you know. And so now Gael's got to rise to the occasion and go out to battle Abimelech and this uh, company of men. And so Gael went out, verse 39, leading the men of Shechem, and they fought with Abimelech. And Abimelech chased him, and he fled from him, and many fell wounded to the very entrance of the gate. So as they're fighting, they're going toward Abimelech and his men are chasing the men, killing the men out in the fields until they get right up to the gate of the city. And so then Abimelech, verse 41, dwelt at Aramah, Aruma, I'm sorry, and Zebel drove out Gael and his brothers so that they would not dwell in Shechem. And it came about on the next day that the people went out into the field and they told Abimelech. So now the, the people of Shechem go out again, even afterwards. And so he took his people, divided them into three companies, and lay in wait in the field. And he looked, and there were the people coming out of the city. And he rose against them and attacked them. And then Abimelech and the company that was with him rushed forward and stood at the entrance of the gate of the city, and the other two companies rushed on all upon all who were in the fields and killed them. So finally, Abimelech wipes out the city of Shechem. All the men in it, all the women, everything. And it says in verse 45, So Abimelech fought against the city all that day. He took the city, he killed the people who were in it, and he demolished the city and sowed it with salt. And whenever something is sowed with salt, you're basically pronouncing a curse on it because nothing is really going to grow. When you put salt on a land or on an area all around, it basically just kills anything, you know, for the for the, the fruit of the ground and, and things of that nature. It just really spoils an area. And we see that um, the kings did that. Often when they would come against a city, they would just sow it with salt and it just made it um, unfit. And um, history tells us that that around the 12th century... Or I'm sorry, around the time of Jeroboam, remember um, that Solomon, after his death, that Jeroboam and Rehoboam, the, the, the city or the, the country of Israel, was divided into two, as you recall. And Jeroboam actually rebuilt Shechem uh, in spite of the fact that it had been sown with salt and, and, and pretty much useless for quite a while. And then Jeroboam was the one who actually set it up his capital there at that time. But notice going back to verse 46, it says, Now when all the men of the tower of Shechem, so, so in this city there was a tower and they used that for lookout and for protection. And so now all the men of the tower of Shechem had heard that they entered the stronghold of the temple of the god Berith. Now this is an event as we read this that was happening 
when they originally came against, when Abimelech and his men came and they fought against uh, Shechem. This is like a, a snapshot of something that happened during that time. And so the Word of God is now just getting us in on, and focusing on that one piece of it when it happened. I'm sorry, that's all the time we have for today. But please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of Judges. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office. You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things, such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Play and Apple Podcast. You may also join us on Sundays and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you in your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.